Well, good morning. I am so glad you're here. Everybody, everybody here has a story. I wish I knew it. I don't, but I'd love to. Everybody here, you are right in the middle of God's next good work. He's working in your life, whether you feel it or whether you don't, whether you're in the middle of an awesome season or whether you're in a struggle. God's working in every person in this church. The Holy Spirit unleashed through the bride of Christ, and your story is important. For the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the importance of your story. We're going to look back in the Scripture at some people whose lives were changed by Jesus, and we're going to think about how God is changing our lives too. So we've got lots of things to encourage you with as we talk about our stories, but today I want to introduce a friend of mine from the church. I want to call Michael Vines to come and join me up here. I want Michael to come share a little bit of his story. I want to tell you a little bit about what God did through Michael and that. You can come on. What Michael did through, what God did. That's how I feel when Miss Becky plays like down and then picks up. Am I supposed to come? Am I not? I want you to see how God has worked in Michael and Ashley Vine's life and how when the Holy Spirit called them and they said yes, it changed not just their future, but the future of others. So let's make sure that he feels comfortable. Let's welcome Michael Vines to the platform. Um, when, when my, yeah, sorry. Um, when my wife first brought up the idea of foster care, I, I was hesitant about it, but I didn't uh, count it out entirely. Um, my main hang-up was my, my own, uh, I only had one child at the time, but my own children. Um, you know, what, what would these, these foster kids that we bring into our home, what, what would they do to them? Would they hurt and abuse them? Would they um, sneak out at night? Would they tear up the house? You know, what, 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 would, they, what would they do when we brought them in? Um, when she first brought it up, I told her to, to bring it back up every couple of days so that I would remember to be thinking and praying about it. Um, she did, and I was still unsure every time. Uh, I, think, I think this lasted for, for several weeks, maybe a couple months, I don't, I don't remember. Finally, after a little while, I told her uh, to give me two weeks, um, and then I would give her a for sure answer. Uh, Thirteen days later, I still didn't have an answer, so I decided uh, I was probably just going to say yes because uh, foster care is important. Um, but thankfully, God gave me a dream to, to give me a little more resolve than that. In the dream, and this was the, the, night, that, the night before I was supposed to give her my, my for sure answer, um, my, my wife and I went to uh, something that was like a pound for children. So it was, you know, instead of dogs and animals being in there, there, there were children. Um, we, we walked to, to a cage uh, that had a child that, that was about the same age as, as, um, as my, my one-year-old at the time, Ezra. And we took him home, and the, the dream ends with, with just the, uh, Ezra and the child playing. Um, when I first woke up, my first thought was, you know, it's, it's crazy that some people treat children like animals, but then uh, there, there, was, uh, there was a deeper thing that God wanted me to, um, to draw from that. Um, and, and that was just that ch pe people see children as less than animals a lot of times. If we see a puppy on Facebook, um, a lot of people are going to go, oh, look at that, and they're, and they're going to think about bringing that puppy home. But whenever we, um, whenever we hear about kids that are all around us, whenever we hear about um, kids in the foster system, our, our first thought is, is not, I need to do something about that. Our first thought is not, um, I need to find out about training. Our first thought is, well, Jesus, not, Jesus is not calling, uh, calling me to that, um, or it would, be too, it, would, it would cost me too much. Um, which is, you know, that, that's, what, that, that's, that's what my thought was whenever it first came. Um, and I've lost my place. Um, big gamut. So, <laughs> um, 
So a af after I realized that, um, af after I realized that there are so many children in need, I, I, I just I, I had to say yes to, to being a foster parent. I had to say yes to um, to going through the training and going through the heartache. And since since that time, we've had four uh, four foster kids come come and go through our house, um, and then one that we were able to adopt. I'm just going off script here. Um, golly. And it's it, it's been it's been very very difficult. It's been draining. It's been tough, um, but it's also been worth it. I, I um, I've seen more more of God than uh, than I think I have in, in my life. Um, I've seen more of the heart of God and, and just more of uh, just just what He's worth. Because even even after I'm drained and tired, He He is still worth um, everything that that I've been doing uh, that we've been doing. If you're interested in, in more information. Um, or if anything that I just said was unclear because I'm nervous, uh, we are we are having uh, me and my wife are having a meeting next next Sunday at four uh, in the church library. If you would like to just find out more about our story or just find out more about foster care, um, and, and I've uh, me and my wife have heard, have heard of several situations that, that were similar to ours where where the the wife really wants to, to do it, um, really wants to look into it, but the husband is the hang up. Um, if you're if you're like I was, then then please just consider it one more time. Um, that there are children all around us that are in need, but, but more than that, um, in James 1.27, uh, James writes, Religion that God our, our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Um, so just consider this one more time as a, as a chance to look after orphans um, and as a chance to, to know God more fully. Thank you. Hey, Mike, hang on. First of all, I want to say, hey, Ashley, way to go. Listen to the Holy Spirit prompting going forward. Michael, thanks for coming along on board. We're really proud of what you guys are doing. And all through the scriptures, I want to let you know that my favorite metaphor for salvation, and there's lots of really good ones, is the idea of us being adopted into God's family. When we pray to Him, we say, Our Father in heaven. But the idea that in Jesus Christ, I have become an adopted son of God. And my inheritance is His kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth and a life with Jesus redeemed. I love the metaphor of adoption, and I don't think that the power of that picture of salvation is ever any more clear than in foster care and adoption. And I think you guys are living the gospel out in a great way. And before we get started, I need to pray for our sermon, and I just if you'll stay up here, I'd love to pray for you and your family and for folks who are thinking about coming next Sunday at 4 to the choir room to talk to you more about foster care. So can I pray for you and for them? Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for uh, Michael and Ashley and for their beautiful family. I want to thank you for the things that you're doing in their household, not just theirs, but all around the world, Father, as you're caring for those who need a father and a mother. God, I pray that you would bless Michael and Ashley in their ministry. Father, as they pass the gospel down to their children, mentor and disciple those you give to their care. I pray, Father, that you would bless them, even as they prepare for next Sunday to to share with those who are interested just in learning more. And Lord, for all those that you're stirring their hearts today, if you're just calling them to be support systems or prayer warriors, or if you're calling them to consider opening their homes, I pray, God, that you just minister to them this week. Give them the courage to follow up with Michael and Ashley and become equipped for the good work that you're leading them into. Father, as a church family, we're proud to stand with our brother and sister. We're proud of you, Lord, for what you're doing. And we ask your blessing on this sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. Michael, thanks, man. I really appreciate it.
Thanks for that. Well, you're going to need to get your table of contents out, probably, because the book of the Bible that I'm sending you today to today is very, very small. So if you're a page flipper like me, if you just, oh, I'll find it, aha, I've got you challenged today. You're looking for Philemon. It's one page. You're looking for Philemon. It's right before Hebrews. So if you're looking in your phone, you're looking for PHI right before Hebrews. But we're going to read the story of a couple of people. We're going to read about Paul. We're going to read about a guy named Philemon. And we're going to read about a guy named Onesimus. But as you're turning there, I just want to let you know a little bit about what I have in mind for the next couple of weeks. I'm going to give you a minute. It's going to take a second. So I'm going to let the pages turn. Ryan, have you found it? Nope. You better scoot over by Rusty. He found it. Have you found it? Philemon. It's the shortest little book, right? It's a fantastic little book. It's a personal letter, private letter. I want to tell you something about it. Paul the Apostle was in prison. While he was in prison, he met a man named Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave, and apparently Onesimus ran away from the household of his master, a guy named Philemon. Well, it just so happens that both Onesimus and Philemon have one person in common, Paul the Apostle. For whatever reason, while Paul is in prison, Onesimus, the runaway slave, finds Paul. He probably remembered his name from when his master Philemon used to speak about him. Maybe he met Paul. Maybe Paul and Philemon were together in Ephesus doing ministry when Philemon was away from his hometown of Colossae. The Bible tells us Paul never made it to Colossae when he wrote the letter of Colossians. He'd not met them yet, but he knew this guy. He knew Philemon. So maybe Onesimus and Philemon had been in Ephesus doing business. That's a lot of alliteration if you're interested in poetry. And maybe that's how Onesimus knew Paul. But the bottom line is, a slave named Onesimus ran away from his master named Philemon. He came to Paul the Apostle who knew them both. And in a jail cell where it looked like the world was coming unglued for Onesimus, Paul shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. He sows a seed, has a gospel conversation, and a guy named Onesimus went from a ping-pong ball to a story of a life impacted forever. Onesimus gives his life to Jesus. And then Paul does a very hard thing. Paul sends him back to his master, Philemon, to seek restoration, forgiveness. Like the first hard act of gospel obedience. And now Philemon's on the spot because Onesimus shows up with a letter from Paul reminding Philemon about the gospel and about the hold of Jesus Christ on his life, and about how, listen, all the systems that we pledge allegiance to in the world, the status quo, all the things that make society run, they bend their knee to King Jesus. And so when the gospel comes into confrontation with any other system we live in, it bends its knee, we yield to Jesus. And Philemon is being challenged by Paul to overstep social bounds by a mile and a half. So these three characters, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus, they make up the story that we read about in the book of Philemon. And before I read it, I want you to know why we're reading about stories. Outside the sanctuary, there are four boards, large stained plywood covered in clips. Outside that door, those two doors, that door, large boards. Above the boards, it says, this is my story in blue. And on each of the tables outside... They're small cards that say, this is my story in blue. Part of our strategic plan for the church, our plan to be as healthy as we can be, 
is in five years, we want our church to have had an impact on 5,000 people. We want to change people's trajectory with God. Onesimus' trajectory with God was radically changed when he met Paul the Apostle. We want to tell 500 of those stories. And so from September 1st forward, as the church is out scattered on mission, looking for opportunities to serve for Jesus, there are going to be some amazing stories that emerge about a person whose life was changed forever. Maybe one of you are in the room right now. Maybe another will be discovered this week. Well, as those stories are formed, as God uses you and lives are changed, we want you to go outside of those boards and take one of those blue cards, jot down the story of how you saw somebody's lives changed. And we trust you to be wise about when to use a name, when to not use a name. But then take that card and clip it on one of the 500 clips that cover these boards as we watch these 500 stories of changed lives take place right in front of our eyes on a Sunday. One of those stories I know has already happened because we watched a young girl give her life to Jesus Christ during our evangelism visits this fall. And her trajectory with God was forever changed. Well, for the next five weeks, we'll talk more about those stories. My ultimate goal is that one day, those boards will be full of other people's stories. Stories that we saw happen. Stories that God called you to serve in. That you could be Paul, and Onesimus could be on the board. Well, we've got to get ready for that. And to practice, today, I gave everybody a piece of paper like this, a cardstock that says, this is my story in red. Listen, just to make sure that I did a good job handing them out, because I had some illustrious volunteers helping me, would you show me your card? I want to make sure that I got every, because if I see a bunch of cards missing, I need to make sure I've got plenty of, yes. Hey, y'all did a great job. Way to go. That's my fourth and fifth grade girls right there. This is what I want you to do with these cards. For the next five weeks, and you can scratch them out and use another one, throw one away and use another one. I want to challenge you to learn your own story with God. I was reading a book some years ago, and it reminded me this. If you and I are going to have an impact on other people, we've got to learn to have gospel conversations. We've got to be able to tell them about how Jesus changed our lives. The best tool I can give you for a gospel conversation is your own story of transformation and hope. What did God do in your life? You can learn the Roman road. I love it. You can use Romans 6.23. I do. You can learn Romans 10.9, like I taught you two weeks ago. You can have lots of things that you use for your gospel conversation, but the most powerful and persuasive tool that you've got for the core of your gospel conversation is your own story with God. But in the book that I read... This author pointed out why we stink at telling our story. Two problems. Number one, we've never sat down to think about what God did in our life. We can't tell our story. We don't have a focus. And so I want to push everybody to two things as we prepare to tell our story. The first thing is you get ready to tell your story and use this card to do it. I want to ask you this. What is the theme of your story? What is the theme of your story? If you look back at what God has done in your life, and you say, Ben, I'm 70. God has done so many things in my life story. I know. 
But what I want to challenge you in the next five weeks for is to think of the one central theme, the thread that you've seen God use to put it all together. Why do I want you to do this? Because if God gives you a chance this week to share your story of hope with somebody that needs to hear the gospel, if you can't tell them what your story is about, you're not going to deliver the gospel well. So know what your story is about. The first thing I want to challenge you with is, do you know the central theme of your own story? So on my card, at the bottom of my card, I see a place for my name. Whew, I know that one right off the bat. My name is Ben. I've been able to spell it since I was very small. Thank you, Mom, for giving me a name with three letters. The second blank says theme. The theme of my story is play in church. I don't know what the theme of your story is, but in five weeks you will know. The theme of my story is play in church. So the second thing I want to challenge you with is can you tell your story in two minutes or less? I know God's done a lot of things in your life, but can you tell the central theme of your story in two minutes or less? And I want to tell you why this matters. Because if God gives us a chance to share the gospel with somebody this week, and you're supposed to use your testimony to do it, if you know the theme of your story and can tell it in two minutes or less, it'll keep you from rambling and boring the person, from getting off track. It will allow you to deliver your life story to them in a way that they can retain it, consider it, and that God can use it. So here's what I want you to do. Over the course of the next five weeks, and if you mess it up and have to scratch it out and want it to be perfect, you want to illustrate it with pictures, fine, but you've got to do it on one card with a theme. And starting next week, you'll see that I have some wires outside in the hallways so that we don't confuse our storyboards with these stories. And I want you to hang your testimony on the wall outside the halls of the sanctuary on the wires that I'll provide you. And as the weeks come and go, you can walk down the halls of the sanctuary and you'll get to know your church family because you'll get to see their story on a short card. And while they're writing their story... They're practicing so that they can have a gospel conversation, so that they can use their testimony. I want to give you an example. In two minutes or less, take your phones or your watches and start when I say go. You ready? On your mark, get set, go. I'm Ben. I grew up in a small town in Mississippi, and like a lot of people in the South, I realized looking back, I was playing church. I grew up in church. I was saved and baptized in church. But during all my teenage years, I really wasn't following Jesus. I was just playing church. I was religious. I had a fear of God, but I had not yielded my will to His. He wasn't able to use me to do anything He wanted because I was still just like everybody around me. My goals, my hopes, my dreams, and my desires were very much like the world's. Then I went to college and I met people who followed Jesus, really followed Him, had a relationship with Him. I was impressed by that, and I started to follow them as they followed Jesus. And I learned that following Jesus brought a transformation in my life, a hope and a joy that was very different than playing church. Well, now I follow Jesus. I'm a disciple of Christ, and it has changed everything about the direction of my life. I'm done playing church. One minute and a few seconds. If you'd asked me to share my testimony 20 years ago, it had taken me so long to get to that point. I'd still be rambling about my childhood in Sugarlock and how it was like Mayberry but a little bit different, you know? I challenge you, over the next five weeks, learn to tell your story, one minute or less, 
with a central theme. Can you fit it all on this card? Can you hang it on the wires? I can't wait to see it. Let me tell you the story of Onesimus, Paul, and Philemon. I want us to read this book together. Very short. And then I want us to track these three characters. And I want us to consider how God used each of them so that we can know what God wants us to do as we become obedient to Jesus. Very much like the story that Michael and Ashley are living out right now, we are going to find that the gospel of Jesus comes into their life story in a microcosm. That they're going to find that the redemption that Jesus offered actually changed them and everything about their lives and their futures. For them, they certainly weren't playing church. They are following Jesus. Let's read this little book, Philemon. Keep in mind, hey, let's do this. Robert, if you'll leave the three names on the screen so that if you lose track of who's who, Robert will remind you. Paul writes this letter to Philemon, and this letter is very likely carried by Onesimus. Before we read, can you imagine the day when in the small city of Colossae, A group of four or five people come walking up the road. You knew they were coming because word reached you already when they arrived in Ephesus. They have letters from Paul the Apostle. And as they start making their way into your village, you make out the faces. You recognize this one, but not that one. This one, but not that one. And among them, there stands a face you recognize very well. Onesimus. A slave from your village. A runaway. We've been talking about him. Likely he stole money from his master when he left so he would have something to start his new life on. How dare he ever come back to our village? What a fool. And in his hand he's got a letter from this Christian missionary, from Paul the Apostle. And I don't know if he thinks that letter is going to change anything, but I cannot believe he had the guts to walk back into this village. And I look to my right and I see walking out to meet him, Philemon, a man respected in our city. Many times he has spoken about Paul the Apostle because Paul led Philemon to Jesus some time ago. And as I watch across the distance and I see the gaze of Onesimus looking up from his feet connect with the eyes of his former master, Philemon, I can't help but wonder what is about to happen. Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and our fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church that meets in your home. Very likely that was Philemon's wife and son, though we do not know. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear your, about your love for all His holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what ought to be done, 
Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man now, and also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. So that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. One thing more. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. As we read this letter, we think about slavery in the first century. In the Roman world, Sociologists and historians estimate that about 30% of the population would have been slaves. Very different than the North Atlantic slave trade that we know about. But common in their villages. Onesimus had belonged to Philemon without rights and privileges. But I want you to understand the weight of this letter. When Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon... He's expecting Philemon to forgive him and receive him back. Now, a runaway slave in those days could have been crucified as an example to every other slave in the village because nobody wanted all their slaves running away. And so very, very often what would happen is you make an example of anybody who was disobedient. In the Spartacus revolt, they made an example of the slaves that rebelled. But in the gospel of Jesus, Paul expects a Christian master to behave differently. And Paul knew that he could not undo slavery in the first century. And he didn't try. But he also knew that all these slaves who were believers would be slaves as believers and serve their masters as working for Christ. He revolutionized their role and their understanding of their service. But he also revolutionized what it would be to be a master, to love and respect those that you thought you owned. Well, in this story, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon and expects 
Philemon to accept him as a brother in Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't tell Philemon whether he has to set him free or whether he attaches him back to his household. But what Paul does demand is that Onesimus be freed for his rebellion and accepted into the household as a Christian brother. So now every time that church meets and Philemon looks up to say opening prayers, Onesimus is not a slave, but a brother in Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ has radical implications for our social priorities. Would the gospel of Jesus Christ really ask Philemon to do something so radical so he would be talked about, I don't know wh what the wards was in Colossae, but if there was one, he's going to be talked about the next morning over biscuits at wards if he forgives this guy. Would the gospel of Jesus Christ ask somebody like Philemon to do something so countercultural that he might be talked about for it? You better believe it. You're not going to see the beauty of the gospel if nobody is talking. Would the gospel of Jesus Christ ask somebody like Onesimus set free once from slavery by his running feet, set free from Jesus Christ from his sins and death, would it ask him, once finally free, to turn around and go back to his master to seek reconciliation because his master is a believer and he's a believer and you cannot have Christian community when two people won't speak? Would he really ask a runaway slave to go back to his master seeking Christian reconciliation. Would God ask anybody to do something so hard? You better believe he would. And he did. So let's take a look at the story. Three characters, Paul, Philemon, Onesimus. What do we have to learn today? Well, when you think about the character of Paul, I love the fact that while Paul is writing this letter, number one, he is in prison himself lobbying for the freedom of Onesimus. Number two, Paul's an old man, and I want to tell you why I love that. Because my vision for our church family is that we will always be a church for all generations to glorify God. We want to do an amazing job in the preschool, but we want to do an amazing job with our senior adults. We want to see grandparents and grandchildren worshiping together, seeking the Lord together in the Scriptures. We want to be a church that is a family, and we want families to be in church. I love the idea that Paul has not retired. He writes this letter and says, I'm an old man now and in chains, but I am not finished lobbying for the gospel. I am still wrestling as a mediator. And maybe you feel like you're fighting to see your sons and daughters restored, people in your workplace, your church, or people down your street to come to know Christ. Don't retire. Paul, the old man, if you've been in church for very many weeks in a row, you know where I'm going here. Paul, the old man, is still dropping ping pong balls in the display every single week. Paul didn't say, I'm too old for this, it's for Timothy. Paul leading the charge. What else we know about it? I know that Paul was sowing seeds when he met Philemon years ago. Now, because Paul had not been to Colossae, we think he probably met him somewhere like Ephesus when Paul was doing ministry in Ephesus. But imagine this, Paul the Apostle, years ago, preaching in the lecture hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus, meets a man named Philemon, leads him to Christ, makes friends, disciples him, loves him like a brother, so that Philemon is praying for Paul's escape from prison one day. But who would have ever thought that that ping-pong ball from Ephesus 
years ago would lead to another letter in the New Testament. That Paul one day would meet another slave in a jail cell and say, wait a minute, I know you. You don't know how your obedience this week will affect your opportunity to serve King Jesus next week. Every person you meet this week matters in God's kingdom plan. Slow down and learn their name. Listen to them and love them. Paul is great at dropping ping pong balls. That's a metaphor in our church for making connections with people for Jesus. What about Philemon? Philemon loved Paul. He'd been changed by Paul. But now Paul is asking Philemon to do something very hard. Paul's asking Philemon to consider forgiving a huge offense. And there are plenty of us in this church today that know how hard it is to forgive somebody that dishonors or shames you. But that's exactly what he's asking. If historians are right, if Onesimus really did steal from Philemon and run away so they would have some money for his venture, then Philemon has been talked about all over town. And he has been dishonored by somebody that socially he thought belonged to him. But God's asking that Philemon would forgive. Is, can forgiveness be that big? Can you forgive that big? Let me ask you this. What if God asks you this week to put your allegiance to the gospel above your allegiance to your reputation? What if God asks you this week to be countercultural, to be different, to be bigger than the petty things that drag us down? What if God asks you to be unconcerned about your neighbor's opinions and to say yes to King Jesus for whatever he's asking? Now, here's the good news. The good news is this book made it into your New Testament. And you know what that means? That means Philemon probably did it. Like, we never know. It doesn't say that Philemon forgave Onesimus. We don't know. But the truth is it was a private letter to Philemon and his family, to his household. And because this letter made it into your New Testament, we believe that Philemon said yes, that he forgave Onesimus. Instead of throwing that letter away in a wastebasket and saying, I'll forget if that ever happened, it became a magnificent display of the power of the gospel of Jesus to change a heart. Could you do it? Paul led Philemon to Jesus and then asked him to take a huge step. What's your next huge step? I had a believer in our church family a few days ago Say, Ben, I'm an adult, and I, I shared the gospel of Jesus for the first time this week. I was so excited for them. Well, what's your next big step? Is it time for you to teach Sunday school? Is it time for you to make a disciple on your lunch hour? Is it time for you to forgive somebody? Paul is asking Philemon to take a huge step. What's yours? Will you take it for the gospel's sake, or are you still playing church? What about Onesimus? He was saved in prison, says verse 10. And I want you to look how powerful this metaphor is. Look in verse 10 of Philemon. Paul wrote that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. As Paul witnessed 
to Onesimus and told him about the gospel of Jesus making all things new. Told him about Christ dying on the cross as a substitute for his sins. When Onesimus gave his life to this gospel, he became Paul's son in the faith. Which, by the way, put him on equal ground spiritually with Philemon, who was also Paul's son in the faith. They are now brothers. And it changes everything. But when his discipler says, take this letter and go home to Philemon, I have no doubt that Onesimus had every reason to say, absolutely not. Are you crazy? But he went. Scripture says in verse 11, he was formerly useless to you, but now he's become very useful to you and me. Probably as a slave who did not love his master or obey Christian teachings in his service, he was rebellious or arrogant or angry. He was a different person. But this is part of his story. His life has radically changed now. When he met Paul, he became not a runaway, but a person who would run back to restoration. Not a coward, but filled with courage. This is Onesimus' story. That when he met Jesus, he changed. Have you changed? Are you willing to do the hard thing that the gospel is calling you to do this week? At Carterville Baptist Church, I want to ask us to live bigger than the culture that we're in. I want us to have the courage to bring the gospel to a head in our actions and in our family life and our choices and our decisions. In fact, this whole book is a story of Jesus Christ dying and raised for us. As Jesus took our place before God, now Paul, the spiritual father to both these men, looks at them and says, make peace, uh, bring him back. He's my son. And Paul writes to Philemon, and I will pay whatever he owes. That's the gospel. God looks at us and says, I want you and my family restored as my sons and my daughters, and I will pay whatever is owed. The gospel works because Jesus died for us, and that changes everything because we've already seen his commitment to us, and now we are radically committed to him. And Paul looks at Onesimus and Philemon and says, I will pay whatever silly debts remain between the two of you. I am your substitute. I stand in your place as your head. Now make peace and be family. Let's engage the gospel because it is bigger than our social disputes. Church family, for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about stories in the scripture. People whose lives were changed. And every sermon is a prayer. That our church family will be used by God to impact 5,000 people and that there will be 500 stories that we can tell. 500 blue cards on those wooden boards on the 500 pegs. And they only start when we start to serve every week. When the gospel becomes bigger than our social commitments. Would you have gone home if Paul gave you that letter? And said, go back and make peace with him. Would you have gone home? Would you have gone back to Philemon and trusted Paul? Or would you have said, Paul, no thank you. I'll just sit on my pew. This is a story about a man whose life was radically changed. Set free. Twice. I want to pray for you. And as I pray, I want to ask you to consider... 
what you need to do with the Lord today. You came to church seeking God. You're in the right place. He wants to be found by you. He wants to move in your heart this week. And so I just want to ask you, would you consider this? What does God want you to do next? And as I pray for you, think about that. Then we're going to sing, and while we're singing, you just obey God. You make your vows to God. If He tells you what He wants, you do it. The altars are open if you want to come and pray for yourself or somebody else. Or if you're sitting here today and you feel like, Ben, I understand what you're saying, but my biggest problem is I feel far from God. I, I know that I am not a believer in Jesus. I'm not a Christian yet. If I died today, I'd be separated from God forever in hell. I'm not in His kingdom. I need to make that right. You are in the right place. Make it right today. Come down while we sing and let me share with you how to ask Jesus Christ to take over your life, to adopt you into His family. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your blessing on my brothers and my sisters. As we've gathered in your house this morning, Lord, we imagine your hand at work in every one of our souls, and we yield to you. God, I pray that you'd pour out your power and that you'd set us free. I pray that the lost would be saved today and all week as we share the gospel of Jesus. God, that you would give us freedom from our sins and our guilt. That your spirit would give us power and courage to serve you, to have wisdom and leadership that we can give to those around us. God, I pray that you would raise up for yourself a church that will make your name great and glorious around the Pine Belt. But God, I pray today that we would take our one next step with courage. I thank you for standing in our place. I thank you, Father, for paying the debt that we could not have paid. And I pray now, Lord, that you would lead us to respond to you with commitment and gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.